Well, as we have come out of uh, Easter, of course, when, the, when you look at the church calendar uh, that celebrated around the world, we move from Easter, and it's not long before we arrive at Pentecost. And I always try in the, the preaching uh, ministry of the church to take some time between Easter and Pentecost to think about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecost is that point uh, when after Jesus had gone to be with the Father, the, the disciples continued to meet together and, and to pray and to seek uh, God. And as they are doing so, the Spirit of God, as was promised, was poured out upon them. And, and as we move towards Pentecost, we'll think about the ways in which the, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon all people is a game changer. Everything changed for the disciples and his followers. And that wasn't just for the original disciples, but that is for us also. And so I want us to look at the work of the Holy Spirit uh, over these next six weeks or so on our way to Pentecost, but by doing so, by going to the very beginning of the Scriptures, to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Because in the very beginning of Genesis, almost the first words that Scripture speaks are about the Holy Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit in the creation of all things. And so we're going to, over the next six weeks, look at various ways in which we might understand more about the Holy Spirit because of the Holy Spirit's presence in creation. And we've called this series, All Things New. And the idea is that, well, in creation, God made something new that all and ever since then, also God continues to make things new. And he does so in Christ and the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is a renewing work in our lives and in all of creation. Now, if you were to uh, look at the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, they, they're like bookends. Um, they stand at the beginning, at the end, kind of saying the same thing, that in the beginning, God creates something new, and at the end, God makes all things new again. There's a restoration of the way things were at the beginning. The creation narratives reveal the creator who creates something from nothing. It's new. It never existed before. But then when you go to the last two chapters of scripture, Revelation 21, God says, behold, I am making all things new again. And in truth, everything that is in between these two bookends is the story or the stories of God's renewing work. God is always in the business of renewing what he has created and who he has created. That's what he wants to do, to renew us, to renew his humanity, his creation. What we see in the opening verses of the Bible is the Spirit of God poised, hovering, ready for this all things new work. Here's what I believe, that the Spirit of God is always hovering, poised to make things new in our lives. There is great hope in that. But whatever you think about life just now or your life or where you are, the Spirit of God is always poised to come and to bring something of the newness of life that we find 
in the creation story, in the end story, and everything in between. And the truth is, we need the renewing work of Holy Spirit, who is at work making all things new. Now, before I start into this morning proper of uh, the first few verses of Genesis 1 and 2, I do just want to make a few comments about Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before we start. I want to say that the purpose of these two chapters particularly is to reveal the Creator. To reveal the Creator. To reveal His intimate and personal relationship with His creation and with humanity. The first two chapters are a theological opening to the story of God. Its purpose is more about who created than how it was created. I want you to understand this was not written as a scientific treaty or purpose. Its purpose of writing is theological. It is saying something about who created rather than the how of creation. In the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, Bereshit bara, Elohim. In the beginning, God created. It is the revelation of God who is personally involved in this creation that he has made. He is the source of all things. He is the center of all things from whom all things have life. That's the purpose of these opening chapters. But if you were to look back over the years of both the Christian church and Judaism before then, and particularly in evangelicalism, there have been all kinds of vigorous arguments, arrogance that divides the people of God about Genesis 1 and 2. With each camp often discounting the others from mainstream orthodox thinking, well, they don't think what we think about the way in which creation happened. Therefore, they can't possibly be in the mainstream of Christianity. And we made Genesis 1 and 2 become, for us, a way that we think the world, or Genesis 1, is telling us the world was made. And when somebody disagrees with us, we say, well, they, they clearly don't trust in the authority of Scripture. It's just not true. There have always been a diversity of view in terms of how we read these early chapters, but what is not in disagreement is that this is a theological statement about the God who is intimately involved with his creation, the source of all things. And in the meantime, well, people have, in the church have, have really torn strips off each other about the how of creation. They've missed the point that we are all in awe of the fact that God created and created wonderfully well. And so I, I want to say that the singular uniting view of this theology of Genesis 1 and 2 is the view of a creator God who's deeply involved 
with his creation. And so issues such as the dating of the universe, whether you think it's thousands of years or millions of years of billions of years, it's secondary. And whatever your view is, that's great. But it does not change the fundamentals of what is a theological statement of the opening verses of Genesis. And whether you think it's six days literally or whether you think each day is a period of time, that, that's not the purpose of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 is about getting us to focus on the creator God who is intimately involved. And so I, I want to read to you something that I came across which I, I think is wonderfully refreshing about how to approach Genesis 1 and 2. It's from David Wilkinson and his book on creation. He says this, Not so far from where I write this chapter is the magnificent Durham Cathedral. I still marvel at its simple beauty and the faith of those who built it. I remember the first time I visited it. There was so much to see on the walls that I spent most of my time reading the inscriptions and looking at the paintings. But then my friend said, look up, look up. There above us was the most breathtaking roof with those incredible stone arches. I had been spending my time on important details but was missing the great sight. Whether the universe was made in seven days a few thousand years ago or whether it was created over billions of years is an important question. Yet it is not central to the message of Genesis 1. Here we have come to the overture to the Bible. The scene is being set by introducing some of the fundamental themes that will feature in the more detail later in this book. And this is an overture about the central character. It's about the character who is introduced in verse 1 and who is central to the close of this overture. This is not a passage about the how of creation, not even primarily about the why of creation. Rather, it's a passage about the who of creation and is an overture that introduces us to the creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want us to remember that as we explore these chapters and as perhaps we talk about them in life groups and over coffees and things like that. So let's read some of uh, what we are seeing here uh, from Genesis 1 and 2. Now, thank you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't think this is going to work for me, guys. I will leave it to the side. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, the word that's used here for spirit is the word ruach, which means wind or, or breath. It means life force, um, the breath of life, the life breath of God himself. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. God himself, the life of God, the breath of God. It means something of God as the life-giving spirit. He gives life to everything that is being created. He's the source of all life and strength. And, and ruach, ruach could mean God's personal presence and power, 
his spirit, his breath, his, his existence in a place by spirit, in spirit. Sometimes talk about it as the wind of God, that sense of God's presence that we encounter. And that as we think about God as the life source, we begin to see the unfolding of a creation from nothing into something. Something out of nothing. God is bringing about something new that's never been before. And for those of us who who feel as if in our lives just now that things just seem old and empty and dull and dead, the work of the Spirit is that he would bring about something new. Even it would appear out of nothing. And so I want you to hear the voice of hope that is always in the creation story. That God brings new things where it feels like there is nothing. Something out of nothing. And, and so as we uh, think about that new life that he brings, in the creation story we have kind of language of The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the earth. It begins in in almost a, a depressive nothingness, but into which the Spirit of God enters, ready, poised to bring about the new. Formless, darkness, empty, nothingness. But then the Holy Spirit hovering over, ready to unleash the new. And then in a moment, God speaks, let there be light. And light becomes, the new comes out of nothing. Something is created. That's a beautiful word for us this morning. I want to almost, not almost, I want to speak it prophetically over your life and over the life of our church. The newness of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring new things into our lives Now, we're going to speak a little bit today about the power of word and spirit together because that's the nature of the creation story. It was spoken and it happened. And there's something about the way in which God speaks and the way in which we speak about things and the work of the Holy Spirit that is really important. God spoke, the spirit was present, new things happened. Well, Lord, I speak new things over our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit and over our collective life as a church. The new things of the Spirit in creation. And I I hope God stirs a longing in us in, in this journey through to Pentecost, a longing for the Spirit who brings new things. If you were to journey with the disciples between uh, the Easter rising and and then moving towards Pentecost, you begin to sense an increasing anticipation of what is going to happen. And they're ready for the newness of the Holy Spirit. And so this ruach, this breath of God, is not just the giver of physical life and breath, but the new life, spirit breath within us. It's not just God's external presence that does things out there, God's spirit around us, but it's God's internal presence, God within us. That's why Jesus uh, talking about, uh, in John chapter 3, about what it means for us 
to be born again. We read these words in John chapter 3. I'm going to go to the next slide, thanks. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You know, there's nothing unusual about the phrase born again. It's utterly biblical. It's the way in which God enters within us to give new birth, new spirit birth within us. It's what we were created for. The birth of God, of Christ, of the spirit within us. And while we've had our physical birth, it is being born of the spirit this new internal presence of God's Spirit within us that brings about the new birth, the new life. And so that which was done in creation as new life, as new creation, also now happens within us by the Spirit. The new creation, the new birth from the inside. And so all of this is is about God creating something new out of nothing. And that that is the work of the Spirit ongoing. That God comes to bring something new in our lives out of what at times feels like nothing. But let's move on to the the next few verses of of Genesis chapter uh, 1. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now in the creation story, we do, there is an element of God creating something out of nothing. But there's also a sense in the opening verses where God is creating order out of chaos. That actually there is something, but it's chaotic. But when God speaks and the Spirit of God is present, it reorders, it rightly orders the chaos. Order out of chaos. The darkness and the waters that we read of in Genesis chapter 1, these really are biblical images of chaos. Often when you you read about darkness and water, the picture it's conjuring up is of chaos, of turmoil. In some places in the Bible, they talk about a a, a mythical figure, Leviathan, who lives as a kind of sea monster, a bit of Loch Ness monster type of thing, who somehow creates and stirs the waves and the storms to create chaos. When we come to Jesus in Mark chapter 4, and he speaks to the storm to be still, what is he doing? He's taming. He's taming Leviathan. He's taming the storm. He's creating order where there's chaos by his spoken word and by his presence. There's a creation nuance about 
when Jesus calms the storm. And in creation, there's order. Order out of chaos. And things about creation have a clear purpose and direction. They have laws of operating. That's not a science thing. That's a God thing. It's God who created them that way. Science is simply trying to understand and to work out what God has done and continues to do. And then that word create, bara, not just the act of creation, but his ongoing creation. The the prophets use that word, bara. They use it most often with regard to what God is doing to restore his people. A word of restoration, bringing them out of their chaos, out of their exile, out of their turmoil, and back into order and belonging and peace. He is creating in a way then that is restoring them from a place of chaos and turmoil into a place of order and peace and belonging. In fact, the only time that bara is used, it is God who is the subject of that word. Let let me read you what John Goldingday says in his commentary. Creation denotes a sovereign act whereby God transforms disorder, jumble, and disarray. Some of us are reading that and thinking, man, that's my life. And disarray. But instead, he forms it into form, harmony, and peace. That's the first of the Old Testament uses this verb only with God as the subject. Only God baraz. You know, sometimes we think we can organize ourselves out of our chaos, and some of us might be quite gifted, but it's God who truly brings us out of the chaos into his order, not ours. And it's his order that matters. It's his new creating that matters to lead us into his order, his belonging, his peace. And that ordering nature is the ordering nature of the word and the spirit. God speaks and the spirit comes along and new things happen. Now, I remember when I I first uh, sent something to the church board here, I'm not sure, it might have been shared with all of the congregation when they were trying to work out who I was. And one of the things that that I put in my little blurb was, I am a word and spirit kind of guy. You know, God has things to speak and the spirit gives life and things happen. There's power in word and spirit and it has an ordering nature. And we see it in creation. God's word announces and communicates the divine purpose or action or way or truth and the spirit of God participates with the word to bring about the order from the chaos. This is a really important principle for our lives. Word and spirit together, the communication, what God has said or is saying, along with the spirit giving it life, creates new things. And so when God's word announces and communicates and the spirit comes along, something new will take place. It's the same for our lives. One of the reasons I think many of us feel disappointed with life in the Spirit is because we want it without reference to or obedience to what God has spoken. Now, this is, a, this is hard to hear and hard to say. 
But sometimes what we want is our own order, not God's order. So sometimes in our life, what we really are saying to God is, God, I like the benefits of the Holy Spirit, but I also quite like to do my own thing in my own way, make up my own boundaries. That's not word and spirit. That's kind of hopeful grace. And there are times when God does that. He, he just blesses us with his spirit, even though we might be wandering. But word and spirit come together. What God has spoken, what God has said, and our response and obedience kind of stretches and opens up the way for the spirit of God to come in and bring the life of the word of God into something new within us. It is word and spirit together that create the order out of the case. That, that's why it's God who has to do it. It has to be God. I'm, I'm relatively good at organizing myself from chaos to order, but that's not what I need. What I need is for God to order me out of the chaos in line with what he has spoken and what he has said, for in there, the release of the spirit and the word together brings about new things. That's what we need. That's how creation works. And it's what we see throughout the whole of the scriptures as the people of God are invited to align themselves in obedience to what God has spoken, the word. And that the spirit gives life and new life in those places and those ways. Word and spirit together is the picture of creation. And I, I, I recognize that I imagine all of us long for that newness of the spirit. But let's bring word and spirit together as we see it in creation, aligning ourselves with what God has said and allowing the spirit to come alongside and planting this new. So we've got something out of nothing. We've got order out of chaos and it's only God who can do that. And then we've got the shaping and forming or the forming and filling. Now, I'm not gonna say too much about this because next week, uh, we're going to hear a little more about the filling, what God does. But in some ways, this uh, filling or forming and filling is part of the story of verses 3 onwards of Genesis chapter 1. And what we have in, in Genesis chapter 1 verses 3 to 10 is a shaping and a forming. God is forming and shake, shaping stuff. He's putting things in their rightful place. After that, the next part, the second part of Genesis 1, he starts to fill it. So there's a bit of divine organizing and forming and shaping, and then God fills what he shapes. God is a filler. He shapes, and then he fill, fills it. And, and again, to come back to this idea of word and spirit together, in some ways, the word of God gives form and shape. It announces God's ways, God's purposes, God's actions, God's requests, God's commands. It's the drawing of the lines, the shape of how things are to be and intended to be. And so in the first half of Genesis 1, there's a shaping. And that's what the Word of God does. It shapes how things are intended to be, it gives clarity on what God puts in place. That which God says is tov. Do you remember that word from a few months ago? Good. That Hebrew word tov means good. And so God begins to shape and form things. 
And as God announces, so the Spirit comes to activate and bring it about. I love uh, what Geraldine was saying last week about Ezekiel uh, 37 and the dry bones coming to life. This idea of, well, speak. Let's speak the word, the prophetic word of God to these bones, and they will live. Something new happens within them. And so the word of God forms, and the Spirit of God fills. And it happens all over the place in the Old Testament. God announces what is to be, and he gives his Holy Spirit to do so. So let me just capture a few of them as we uh, wrap up here. First of all, in, in Bezalel and Oholiab, don't find too many of them around nowadays, but these two characters are artists. And they're artists who are called on to design what God has spoken to them about the design of the, the tent, the meeting place where the people of God would meet with him. And they're given the task of putting into place what God has already spoken. You'll find it in Exodus chapter 31 verses, uh, well, we get verse 1 to 5 particularly, but then on. And so God speaks to give form and shape to what has happened, and then he fills them with the Holy Spirit so that they can accomplish what God has so ordered and ordained. Now, do you see that? The forming and the filling of creation then begins to happen all through the Scripture in the Old Testament. An instruction from God, a word from God, something communicated from God that will form the way forward, and then the Spirit of God comes to fill, to activate it, and to make it happen. Or we could go to David, King David. King David anointed to be king. You'll find this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, David is the least likely of all Jesse's sons to be chosen as king because he was the youngest, seems to have been the smallest, the least important. In fact, Jesse didn't even bring him into the picture. He, he brought all his other sons to, uh, to be anointed as king, but he left David out. But God was speaking a different word. God's word would be that David would be the anointed one, the surprise in all of this. And because of that, David is the one who is brought in. And he is the one who is filled and anointed. So there is a form, a forming by the word of God and a filling for that word to be fulfilled. Sometimes the word and spirit come together in a way that needs to unform before it can reform. Now, you don't have to have been a Christian long, I don't think, to see this happen in our lives all the time. Sometimes God has to unform me before he can reform me. There are things that need to be untangled from my life. There are words that God has to speak that separates out some things from the other. And then into that place, God can do something more. He can do reforming. And so in Scripture, you take someone like Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and the people of God. But before anything new can happen with Gideon and the people of God, God has to say something and do something that unforms them. You know, all the beliefs they had about themselves that we are the worst and we are the weakest and somehow this is all God's fault and God's deserted us and abandoned us. That's Gideon's story. And God had to unform all that 
thinking and believing that was incorrect before he could reform what he had spoken about who they were as his people. And some of us carry around ways of thinking about ourselves and about God that sometimes by his word he needs to unform, he needs to separate them out before the reform can happen. And perhaps even for some this morning, you're already aware in your own way of thinking that it's contrary to what God really is saying. God's word comes in to challenge that, to unform it. And then he can reform with the Holy Spirit. Or Isaiah. Isaiah, who in chapter 61 of Isaiah, talks about the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. But the whole story of Isaiah is about God having to speak to unform the way that they are living so that he can reform them. But this Word and Spirit together, forming us and then filling us so that we can fulfill this Word of God. I I, I can't be the only person who has this experience of life too. That I need God to bring me from chaos to his order. I need that in my life. I can't imagine that the only one who doesn't in some ways need to be unformed so I can be reformed so that I can be filled again. There are things that God has to speak by his word that separate old stuff out so that he can bring new stuff in and then fill me by his spirit to fulfill this word that he has spoken. Order from chaos, forming and filling. That song that we sang early on in our church, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Some versions have break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. I think the one that we had today was melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Whichever it is, you you see the pattern of the song. That's the pattern of the story of the people of God. As God graciously deals with them. Lord, there are things that I need broken and melted in my life because they're not right. I need unformed from those things. But, but don't leave me in the unformed place. I need to be formed by the word of God, to be aligned with it. And as I do, and as Spirit, Holy Spirit comes to us, the combining of the word and the Spirit bring about something new. Order from chaos, forming and filling. Our response to God's word is important as we also give our readiness for receiving God's Spirit. It is both and in the creation story, Word and Spirit together. And that's the pattern that we see all the way through the Scriptures. God longs to bring something new into His people and into our lives, even if it feels like He would have to do that out of nothing or out of chaos. It's what He does. It's what he continues to do. He is making all things new. When you get to the very end of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 5, behold, I am making all things new. I wonder 
for us? Are we ready for God to be making new things within us? This is our hope, our faith, and our trust in what God will do amongst us and in us. Shall we pray? I invite the worship team to come up.